Hey, let's be silly. That's I'm going to leave that in the intro because we're live and that's good. (laughs) And I like that. So we're about to get silly. Uh, I I was trying to think of a quirky, awesome, cool introduction to do with you guys, but I couldn't think of anything. So fuck it. Uh, This is the Napoleon Dynamite pod. I'm joined by recurring guest Max Boyum and first time guest Justin Couts. Uh, Welcome. Welcome, Justin. What's up? Happy to be here. This was Justin's suggestion. Uh, texted me, maybe intoxicated. I was intoxicated when Justin texted me about doing it. it was like midnight. I don't think I was. Oh, I'm fl- I'm more flattered then. Justin texted me, said he watched Napoleon Dynamite. Was a great hangout movie. Um, I was at a bar. I was like, "Fuck it, let's do it." It's been a while, and uh, we all rewatched it. And my God, has it aged like fine wine? It is really good. So. Let's get into it. Uh, the budget for Napoleon Dynamite was four hundred thousand dollars, and it made forty-six million dollars. Uh, essentially, just went to Cannes Film Festival and then got bought and put out for wide release. Uh, just absolutely ludicrous story behind it. Just them in Idaho filming it. Um, why do we love this movie, Justin? Why Why were you texting me at midnight on a weekday about this movie? Uh, this one's like a classic comfort film for me uh, my mom and I used to watch it all the time especially when I was sick uh, or on like snow days uh, so it was very much like a day off movie um, and so there's sort of a nostalgia factor to it but I also just think like it's a really solid film and I don't want to call it underrated like I, I don't think that's what it is a lot of people liked it but you know it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit at least like I don't think people still talk about it enough I definitely feel like it's a our generation because we were nine when this movie came out. Yeah. I think our generation, this was so cool. I have the vote for Pedro t-shirt on for the fans at home. And that was like a thing. Everybody at recess, if you were cool, you had a vote for Pedro shirt. Max, why do you think this movie was such a phenomenon with like our age group at that time? I, I feel like it is just so incredibly quotable. There are so many random little one-liners that I remember hearing in elementary school, people starting to call each other a friggin' idiot. And I hadn't seen it, the movie at the time. And so everyone's just calling each other a friggin' idiot. And then I distinctly remember one day, um, someone retelling the story that Napoleon is sharing in the beginning of the movie about being up in Alaska, hunting wolverines. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I think that we're, it, it, our generation was in that weird window where it was really cool to not actually swear and to say friggin' and just calling you people idiots. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I think that the nostalgia of it takes it above that level. I also actually, I guess, contrary to Justin's, my mom <laughs> and dad, like the last thing that they wanted me to do was watch this movie because they just perceived it as being so dumb and mind numbing. And I don't know. I just, I, I think that that is a bummer take out of your parents. I know it's not a great look for Pam and Dan, but, uh, but I do, I think that that's emblematic of how it really does speak to that age group at that time. And that's why it's kind of aged nicely as we've gotten older um, and just become, yeah, like you said, kind of the cult classic that, that it is today. For sure. My, you know, another person I used to watch this movie with all the time was Alex Linneman. Oh, shout out to Alex Linneman. <laughs> friend Alex, of the program. Yeah. No, yeah, we used to watch it all the time. Well, Alex and I also had a thing where we would just watch movies only to be able to repeat the lines. Like, that's why, that was the entire intention of watching the movie was to, like, continue to memorize lines. 
I remember we did it with, I mean, a lot of movies. For some reason, Fever Pitch comes to mind. I know we did it with that movie, which was a weird We've one. done that movie on this pod. And no, I, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did movie I movie. like it. I know it's hate. I know everyone hates it and thinks it's a shit. I know. I, I, I've got a soft like spot it. for it. Kind of like, just like Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, like, a, yeah. And yeah, Max, I think you're spot on. Like, it, it, it really resonated with, like, us when we were, because we were, you said nine, Chris, when it came out. I feel like it, I kind of came into it, though, when I was, like, maybe 12, 13, like, started watching it a little more regularly and that's when like i don't know yeah we were all dorky and weird and like you know weird and still are kids and like that's the whole thing that's that's his thing he's you know like just barely post pubescent and bad at being a teenager my dad still watches this all the fucking time and thinks it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, I like passively okay. mentioned it to today. I was like, oh, I'm doing the play in dynamite. He said like six quotes and was like, that's awesome. Can't wait. He, he has season tickets to this movie. If it's on TV, my mom hates it though. She's like, stop watching that stupid shit. Essentially. I, I think my, I'm, I'm sure my dad's opinion is, is in that camp too, but my mom just like loves it for whatever reason. It's just such a weird subculture that you kind of want to be a part of, even though it looks horrible. Like you're just in rural Idaho, but somehow rural yeah. Idaho is the coolest, quirkiest place in the United States of America. Like it's straight out of the 80s still. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and that I didn't really know about this until I was just kind of doing some light like research before this, but uh, it kind of inspired the like small town film genre uh that like juno and little miss sunshine those were the two that like whoever was writing about this brought up but like so it it, it was kind of uh you know path i guess path paving if you will in that way i i watched this and i john Hader is amazing and seems like he's legitimately the weirdest human being alive like he wouldn't be an actor like you just believe he is that guy max do you think that fucked him over for because he's not really doing anything do you think this he this pigeonholed him because he did other stuff he did blades of glory which will eventually blades of glory is good he's in um oh my god the one baseball yeah bench warmers thank you bench warmers i can't think of anything else he did but yeah it's i don't know he did the napoleon dynamite tv show spinoff yeah but do you think this pigeonholed them i guess is my question for sure i mean I, I guess i don't know if he he sees it that way or would say that he sees it that way but I, I just think that there are a lot of examples of where you have this actor who does a role and does it so well that from then on you cannot see that person in anything else i'm just looking at john's uh uh, his Wikipedia right now, and I mean after after I can't think of the last thing I saw him in after Blades of Glory, which was two thousand seven. He really hasn't done much of anything since. Uh, Surfs up to Wave Mania, of course. Who could forget? Hell yeah! Oh, oh he's Chicken Go in that. Actually, that's that's actually a pretty moderately big role. Good for him. You saw Surfs up too. No, <laughs> I just think. I why do you know it's a big Joe. role? I I think I just know Chicken Joe from the Surfs Up. Uh, it seems like I would rather you just own the fact that you've seen Surfs Up too and know that John Hader had a big role. But okay, Max wants to do Surfs Up too on this podcast. <laughs> Can we do Surfs Up too? 
Okay, but here's the thing about Chicken Joe. Chicken Joe is just Napoleon Dynamite as a chicken who serves. It's the same kind of like... So you fucking know because you've seen the movie. <laughs> no, I've only seen the trailers, but I could just... I'm, I'm, I'm inferring that that's the case. Sure. Okay, well, but regardless, I feel bad for him because he is really good in this. And I don't know. I wanted to see him keep doing like quirky indie stuff. And maybe he still is. And I'm just not into the quirky indie scene enough. I don't know. I, I did see, and this was on Wikipedia, so I mean, I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt, maybe. But I did see that they have been hinting at a sequel for like a bit now, since it said September of 2020. So, uh, you know, that would be cool. Do, would you, would yeah. you like a sequel, you, though? Uh, I guess. Why not? Why not? Um, comedy sequels... I've never seen a comedy sequel work. I'm trying to think of if someone could give me an example, then maybe I'll pivot. Horrible but... bosses too. Horrible <laughs> bosses too. I'm serious. Are you? Are you? It's, I, I'm serious. I can't tell if you're doing a bit. I hope it's a bit. It's not no, funny. No. Okay. The the Chicken Joe thing was a bit. This is real. Horrible bosses one is very funny. Horrible bosses two turned it up another level. I swear. I stand by that. Okay, I don't believe that you actually like Horrible Bosses 2 that much, but oh, like Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Caddyshack 2, there was the remakes always go bad, the all-female Ghostbusters was a train wreck. I mean, um, okay, I, I can't think of one on the spot because I'm not exactly a, a movie expert, but I'll, I'll find one. Give me one second. I guarantee you there's 22 Jump Street. 22, 22, Jump, Jump, Street, 22 Jump Street's a good movie, but also those guys... Those guys didn't do it as like a money grab. They actually just had more story to tell. And I trust Jonah Hill. That's an exception to the rule. What do you, what do you, they had more story to tell. <laughs> yeah, they, they had more story to tell. All they right. just did the, they made a joke about, also. No, Hangover 2? No, that's no, the one that where they're bad. in Bangkok. The thing about 22 Jump Street is they're also shitting on sequels. Because the entire thing is them being like, we have way more money for no reason. And they keep making jokes about, do the exact same thing, which is all Napoleon Dynamite would yeah. be, was a complete rerun it back of like, maybe they're adults and they have a kid that's awkward. Sure. I just wrote it. The, the quintessential <laughs> bad comedy sequel has to be Dumber, Dumb and Dumber 2, right? I mean, there's... Dumb and Dumber-er? No. Dumber -er? no. Is it, is there's the one that, no... -er, that's the prequel. There's the prequel that Justin the prequel. and the West Side Sioux Falls guys think is funny. That's not funny. It's oh, the prequel which is the, like which came out after the first. But it, yeah. So then are there Only, three? Well, it's not good. I, it's not good. But it yeah, no, it's another one that has uh, that I have a soft spot for. What were you saying, Max? Are, are there three Dumb and Dumber movies then? Yeah. yeah. The one Justin's okay. talking about is when Harry met Lloyd, which is the prequel to yeah. the original. Yeah, and then there was yeah. the remake with Jim Carrey that was just atrocious. They're trying to find like Harry's daughter. I watched it once and got sad, but uh, the, the point being, we don't need an point. I'm okay. And plus they did an animated series, which is essentially the sequel. I'm okay and with it. Only, and it only had, uh, it only aired for six episodes. So, I mean, yeah. People apparently weren't okay. really into it. Okay, back on track. Who on this performance, like who of these actors, Justin, besides John Hader, who do you look at and be like, wow, that was bad. Like they did a badass job. They did fantastic. They killed it. Uh, I mean, Uncle Rico is incredible. <laughs> he pops off the screen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
and Rex is very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are probably well, and, and I really enjoy Kip. I do. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, of those three, though, I would definitely say uh, I would definitely say Uncle Rico. He's my top dog. I think that's one of the best performances, if not. I mean, it's not better than Haters, but yeah, maybe number two. He comes in just throwing absolute heat when he comes in for grandma and he's just like eating steak and he just is immediately just like a total dick to them. Yeah. I love his introduction scene. The steak that was just murdered by Lyle. Oh, so bad. Yeah. That scene right in front of the school bus. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That guy, that guy might actually be my favorite performance because I think the guy that shoots the cow Lyle. is the same guy that is at the chicken coops. Yeah. Where he's saying, like, I found a Shoshone heroin over there in, like, the pig stall. Yeah. That guy might be my runaway sleeper. You have no idea how many times I watched that scene to try to figure out what he said without captions. I don't know why I didn't have captions at my disposal, but I didn't. This was, like, a while ago. I'm not talking about currently right now. Uh, but like years and years ago, I, I think I probably watched that clip like 100 times to try to figure out what he said. And finally, I did. The Shoshone Arrowhead or whatever. I just figured that out today. Okay, there Today, you go. I just figured that out I when I watched it. it. <laughs> I always used to thought he said a Shoshone Arrowhead over by the bushes, but then I had the captions on today. Pen, and it right? says it's like a, it's a pig pen or whatever, as he says. I, okay, so that's news to me. I thought it was over there by the creek bed. No, I think it's Pig Ben. <laughs> I think it's Pig Ben, yeah. <laughs> that's what my that's what my cat I think close close captions even knows what he's saying. But I don't know if that's like a local. Is that a legit actor? I'd love to know what that guy's life story is. Uh, from what I understand, there are locals in the film. Yeah. Like those the people of, of that town. What is it, Preston? Yeah, Preston, I know. Preston, no, we're just like semi involved in the making of the movie. Well, because that's where the director, Jared Hess, yeah, is from Hesse. Preston. Yeah, yeah. And they basically just based a lot of, it was just, he was in film school and, you know, just based a lot of it on how weird him and his brothers were growing up. And I guess right. he legit had moon boots and Amazing. glasses and a perm. He and, he and Hader went to college together, right? Yeah. Bringing and he gave him, they made a short about it. And then the short got submitted to a film festival. And he was like, shit, I think we can make this a feature right somehow got funding for it which i'd love to know how they got funding well it and was, then got it in case it was what's his name here i have it down i have it written down uh that Jer the jeremy coon guy he, he's like the editor and i think executive producer of the film uh was who i think started getting it seed funding after that sundance i think it was sundance after that appearance and that's what got it to you know be a major motion picture i mean they got Haley duff i mean that's that's when you know you've made it big time summer wheatley yeah i i didn't i picked up on that one today that was the first time i realized that that it was Haley duff yeah yeah i she's kind she's kind of pretty good she's pretty good at what she's doing i don't think Haley duff is this amazing actress oh no, no but i th i was expecting to go back and be like okay this person actually sucked i was just young and thought they were fine. She yeah. actually kind of kills the role. She plays a good, bitchy high school girl. Yeah. Uh, what's her boyfriend's name? That is guy plays a really good name. That guy plays the best. He's That's really what, that good. was something he's I wrote down. Dude. He's a really good douchebag. He's, he's a great douche. Yeah. Uh, does he is he named in the movie? 
Oh my god! I do. You have a character name? I want to say it's like a Brock. Like I feel like that guy's for sure named Brock. I'm looking through the cast list. His name's Don. (laughs) Don. Yeah, that works. That's good. That guy Moser. There's the scene when he's like where they're doing doffing all the time. They're doing larger than life, and he like stands up and claps for (laughs) and he's like looking around. Yeah. I think we used to do it. I feel like that was a thing we did in high school. Yeah. No, he's he plays a good dude for sure. That's another good performance. That's but he, you know he's pretty under the radar, but it is a good performance. Once you see Rex do the Rex Quando ad that Kip's like writing this shit down in, yeah. and he's like in the wisdom of a man, and he's got a girl in headlock. Oh, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so, it's so funny, and then just all the disparaging comments he's making at Napoleon and like Kip during. His little, I guess it's a free tutorial of what you're gonna get if you buy the real class. Yeah. When he goes, Peter Pan over here, and <laughs> Napoleon's yeah. like, "What the fuck?" And he yeah. just slaps Kip. Yeah, I, uh, I wrote down the like adage that's written on the wall behind him today, uh, and it says, "What is it?" I shall respect Rex. I shall never misuse Rex Quando. I shall be a champion of freedom and justice. <laughs> and it's like it's like in vinyl letters above the mirror behind them. It's amazing. Oh my god! There are a lot of really write that up there. Yeah, there are a lot of really cool subtleties in the background. The other one that I noticed today that I'd never noticed before is in the beginning when Napoleon calls Kip, and he's like, "Look at he looks at the plate of nachos. He's like, oh, I'm really yeah. busy right now.'" And every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time the camera cuts back to Napoleon and then back to Kip, there's just more cheese on the plate. Or less. And what, or and, and then like the last time they cut, yeah. it's just like a mound of cheese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the chapstick. Is that the chapstick scene? That's right. Where he's, he's like, yeah, my lips hurt my lips real, bad. real bad. That's one of that's obviously one of the best lines from the film. I'm not gonna yeah. use hers, you sicko. When he's like, I'm gonna use the, the she doesn't know anything anyway. Oh my god. I'm so he because Kip, that's another person. Kip is just throwing heat the entire time when he's talking about being like a kickboxer and him and Napoleon have a little back and forth. And Napoleon, there's a ring at the doorbell. They both freeze for a moment and like think who should go. And Napoleon just slaps uh Kip and he goes, Jeez. And I feel like I've heard Max say Jeez just like that a million times. I think that might be like my favorite scene in the movie because Kip challenges him. He's like, come on, try to hit me, man. Try, what are you going to do? Like, he's like pushing him a little bit. And then, the chat like, line with babes all day. <laughs> and he's like, I'll get it. And then just like slaps him in the face. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote down some of the lines from Chip's po- or Kip's poem mm-hmm. where he's just like, I'm flying high. <laughs> and then there's like all these little rhyming words with like high. And then he goes like a kite at the end. I just love how Maddie. I love the way your sandy hair floats in the air. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, to God. me, it's like a butterfly. I'm flying oh so, so high, high. <laughs> like a kite. And yeah. it's just over. It's good. A kip, kip fucks, man. Kip fucks. There's also an amazing Kip scene where he, him and Rico apparently got fun, funding to go sell Tupperware 
which is something I want to talk about at some point. But they're driving around and he's in Rico's van and he puts it the little Tupperware behind the tire and he just backs it up and it explodes. And he's like, dang it. And immediately puts it in drive and takes off. Drives off. Yeah. Uh, I just another scene of him and Napoleon fighting that I, where, uh, for whatever reason, I can't remember why Napoleon's mad at him, but he has him in a headlock. And uh, Kip goes, you're bruising my neck meat. <laughs> you're bruising my neck meat. And then, and then Napoleon lets him go. And he, he says, I think you ripped my mole off. <laughs> Let me see. I think that's when he has him in the headlock because he's like, what are you and Uncle Rico doing? Stop talking to like my friends. Oh, that's right. Yeah when, they're, yeah, when Uncle Rico starts trying to sabotage Napoleon's life. Yeah, for no reason. For no reason, and something bust a must in like the most rapey yeah. way you possibly can to teenage girls. Yeah. Uncle Rico would get canceled. I wrote down. I wrote down in my notes uh, that Uncle Rico is a sex offender. Oh, for sure, <laughs> he is. The, he's still obsessed with high school. He lives in a van, and yep. he literally goes up to teenage girls. He, that conversation with um, Deb, where he's just like, "Hey, like." You could be you could be working with some real heat here, and Deb's like you're making me uncomfortable, and he's just so he like unbuttons weird. his shirt to get the flyer, like he just it was that was very weird. I kind of forgot about that scene, or even Rex's wife when he goes, "Well, are you comfortable with me?" and he kind of gives her like this side eyed smirk, and my skin yeah. was crawling. I was like, "I'm he's glad Rex beat dude. the shit out of you." He's a slimy dude. And Deb's a sweetheart. I think Deb's honestly my sleeper for favorite character because she just does, she commits so hard to the deadpan, awkward girl. The first time you meet her and Kip disparages her with the whole, your mom goes to college and she runs away, but she's selling, she's just out there grinding. You know, she's a capitalist. She's just trying to make some money for her family. I respect her. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> I think that she's a little bit of a, I don't know, a, a potential source of conflict between Napoleon and, uh, and Pedro. And I, I guess I can't, I don't get a full read on whether or not uh, Pedro, you know, is interested in her in that way, or if he truly just wants to be friends. Um, but I don't know, it does seem to bring out a little bit of conflict between uh, Napoleon and his best buddy. I think she was using Pedro to get to Napoleon. I think it was your classic females are three steps ahead of us. Sure. And I think yeah. she was she was playing chess and Napoleon was playing checkers. Okay. <laughs> I think she was. And it seems like Pedro is pretty just, oh, you know, he asked Summer. I feel like she was his fallback. You know, Summer was his Venus right. and he didn't get that. And so, I mean, wait up for Pedro to shoot for the stars absolutely i mean he's known also to. a very nice double astrology reference there yeah that was, that was two for the stars very nice shout out to a knight's tale for my she's your venus reference Heath ledger's my boy okay that's all we have on deb sweet paid i'm gonna i need to say pedro because i got the vote for pedro shirt him cutting his entire hair off is fucking hysterical like the little montage of him going through the process of being in the bath with all the candles and then he's just bald that's that's oscar worthy that's his oscar clip <laughs> <laughs> so dumb well, he's, he's got cousins that are the plug i love pedro pedro keeps this 
Napoleon needs a friend. Without Pedro, this movie is not the same because then Napoleon's just the worst. He gives him some feel. Yeah, and just like, I don't know, I, I think the thing that he does very well is, yeah, gives Napoleon purpose. Like, I was kind of thinking like the whole time, like, what is the what is the overarching reason or purpose or objective of this movie? And it's vote for Pedro. Let's get Pedro as our class president. And he definitely like moves, moves things forward for him, um, which is cool and a good contribution and keeps the thing moving for sure. I feel like this movie is two acts. I feel like the first act is how am I going to get to the dance? And then the second act is, I need to help Pedro win. And those are the two things that drive each half of the movie. And there's not really a plot, but those are the only like two endpoints that exist in the movie to me. I guess he wants to make money for a little bit, but I don't really consider like Napoleon trying to grind for, for cash, like a plot point. Although one thing about that, uh, so there he and Pedro go to taste milk, right? Uh, yeah. And like, was that so that Pedro could like have qualifications uh, in order to be president? Yeah. Okay. It's like they were trying to develop and refine their skills. And so they right. just like went and right. won an FFA contest. Yeah. Right. Based on what though? Because they worked at the chicken coop one day, like, is, or is it suggested <laughs> that they continued to work at that farm and like gained a lot of knowledge of, of dairy? That's I've, I've never have understood that other than the comedic. I've never thought of that scene other than like comedic relief. Because when Pedro goes, except for that little nipple, that's nipple number five. When he says that, yeah, he says a good dairy cow <laughs> should only have four. And I'm like, where? How did you know that? Napoleon saying <laughs> that one got in an onion patch. That one has bleach in it. I always just thought it was like, oh, that's comic relief. I never thought of like the political nature of the scene. But maybe there it's is. It's hilarious too because the the medals that they get, they're wearing pretty much for the rest of the movie. Like he's when he's taking his bath, when he's getting when he's really hot, <laughs> oh, he's yeah, wearing the medal in the bathtub. Yeah, that's amazing. Do we think the principal? I wrote this down. Do we think the principal at the school is a racist? Like he's he's kind of a racist, right? I uh, yeah. The, so the, one of the opening, like one of the early scenes when he. Well, when Napoleon meets Pedro, uh, obviously kind of indicates that he's a little bit like xenophobic, maybe when he's like, do you even understand English or whatever? Uh, yeah, he's like, it's not that hard. Yeah, uh, I had kind of made note of that too. Uh, and at the end, you also, well, which I don't know if we want to get there quite yet, but a, a small thing from it, they don't know that there's going to be a skit for some reason or that there needs to be a skit for some reason. And so Ooh, I was sabotage. I was wondering today if, if the president hadn't told Pedro that there needed to be a skit because he didn't want him to be president, which I don't know if that movie, if this movie is like ever intending to get that deep. I really kind of doubt it actually, but it was just something that, you know, I thought about in passing. Hmm. No, I like that because the Happy Hands Club apparently is ready to go. They are very mm -hmm. much aware and they have larger than life queued up. I could see that. Well, yeah. and and Summer at the end of her speech says something that's also pretty not chill. She says, "I don't want to eat chimichangas next year all the time." Yeah, I don't know about right. you. Vote for Summer. Like that's a rough, rough reflection, maybe of a small Utah town. Yeah, that's a bum. That's a bummer line out of her. 
I also think she says chimichangas. I think she mispronounces she it totally too. Mispronounces it, yeah. <laughs> Which makes it that She's, much better or worse. The fact that small town Idaho isn't really woke is in 2004 is wild. Well, that's another thing. So, I mean, the movie you find uh, is supposedly set in 2004 and in the 2004 2005 school year, according to the uh, student ID in the opening credits. But, yeah. like, there's way too many callbacks to like a different time, the eighties, the nineties for that to feel true. Uh, so yeah, it's just a curious thing. I mean, there's, there's uncle Rico's van is one. There's how uncle Rico dresses, but he's obviously trapped in the eighties. Um, but like a lot of the music that plays are like, would have been like songs that would have been popular in the 80s in the 90s not so much in 2004 and 2000 you can't tell me cindy lopper time after time is playing at a fucking dance in 2000 yeah no way no way it's gonna be <laughs> like it's gonna be like chingy or yeah. like or like the yin yang twins say, <laughs> yeah yeah that's what exactly what i was gonna say yes yeah little john well that's why so in my my half-ass research i saw that they made him put in the school id with the with the year in the credits, the studio made them go back and do that because they wanted it to be clear that this wasn't set in the eighties or nineties. Oh, and sure. They thought the film on its own would confuse people. So they're like, in the opening credits, make sure you clarify that this is present day America in like Idaho as kind of a comment of this place is trapped in it. It's right. so far culturally behind like the rest of the country. Right. Hmm. Which is probably what, I mean, I, I would think that that's an intentional thing that the movie is doing, you know, making that comment. I think that, I don't think that's- Yeah, I kind of like that actually. Yeah. I, I kind of, if that's the angle that they're going for, I kind of like the fact that, yeah, they're just that far behind. Yeah, I don't think that that's like too thoughtful for that, for this movie. Like, I think that the movie can get there. I don't know. I mean, the movie too just moves, Max, you're a huge proponent of like quick movies. So you oh, can just cook on it. this being an hour and a half movie. Yeah, 90 minute movie, baby. That's, oh, that's it's, it's a beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel like, I mean, tonight's a prime example, right? You know, I started the movie at 7 30. We're done in plenty, or not 7 30, 6 30, done in plenty of time for this. I had some chance to do some half assed internet research. I had a chance to crack a drink. Exactly the same thing. It's perfect. It's yeah. an hour and a half. No movie should ever be more than an hour and a half. If you can't say, or convey what you're trying to do in less than an hour and a half. It's not even worth it. Give the people what they want. That's a that yeah. That's a scalding take. I don't need your that's Irishman really three take. hour bullshit. I don't need your hateful eight three hour bullshit. I don't need you're your just picking movies that you didn't like that were long. If I started listing movies you like, <laughs> like The Dark Knight's probably two hours and twenty five minute runtime. Were you like, please give me less Heath Ledger's Joker. Give me. Give me an hour and a half of that movie. There's give and take with that. You would not think, want that movie to be I shorter. think if you would have given me creative direction on that, I could have made that as good of a movie in an hour and a half. I could have cut out a lot of unnecessary. I just think that you you insinuating that you could go up to Chris Nolan and be like, let me trim the fat off your masterpiece is ludicrous. It's a ludicrous take. Okay, also, I just got a text from my roommate who's in the other room and can hear my scalding take. And he just texted me and said, Avengers Endgame, three-hour bullshit too. <laughs> and I love Avengers Endgame. I take it back. Fine. I take it back. 
it's just a dumb take. Like some movies, yes, if this movie is two and a half hours long of just quirky little scenes, I'd be like, okay, I, I get it. I get what you guys are trying to convey. No, but this movie, it, it, it absolutely is like, hits the sweet spot. It, it should, you're right, Chris, it should not be any longer than it is. And Comedies I, I do appreciate should always your, be like that. Yeah, I mm. appreciate your your two act take. I think that I thought about that a little bit more after you said it, and I think that that's spot on. Yeah, because I kept trying to think of usually it's like first act, second act, third act, and you can kind of usually yeah. in a movie it's pretty obvious where the breaks are. And yeah. I kept thinking like, what's Napoleon's motivation? Like, what's the protagonist's motivation? And you're like, oh, well, he just wants to get to the dance, get a date to the dance. Yeah. He's got his oklahoma ex-girlfriend that he's like bragging about with her glamour shots like he's insecure about his inability to get a date and then the next thing is i gotta get my boy pedro elected yeah no that's that's really it and and i would also argue though that like i mean it's kind of a movie about nothing which i really appreciate and which is a reason why i think that this movie is like a little bit ahead of its time at least because like now you see a lot of films that are just kind of like meandering, like a lot of the indie stuff, if you will. Uh, it's just sort of meandering like movies about nothing. And they tend to be like in the shorter range of like the shorter time range as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it actually was, you know, probably, so it came out 2004? Yeah. 2004. So, I mean, yeah, like maybe 10 years ahead of its time. I think it was, ve- it was very early in that kind of movement. Do you think this movie, if it got made tomorrow, would still find the mainstream success and notoriety it did today? Or do you think that like American audience have cooled on this kind of ironic, because this is essentially the same humor that like The Office takes after where it's like uncomfortable humor that people were really into in that phase. I don't know if that's still, I don't know if that's still it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I certainly would appreciate it, I think. I'm trying to think of what movie ran or runs today because this movie walked, you know? Like, I was trying to think of, like, that analogy of of what what this movie what did Tom? for, like we said, this meandering kind of, like, movie about nothing. Like, what that did in 2004 that led to kind of its equivalent today Um and I guess there's like a few that I kind of just thought about, I guess, but none that- Justin like, mentioned guess, a couple of t- earlier too, but those were also like mid, like those were mid 2000s, like Juno. Juno, Juno definitely ran at the Oscars because this movie walked. The, Juno doesn't yeah, have mainstream yeah. success without this. But I'm trying to think of any, cause I don't even, I guess my bigger question, I don't know what America's sense of, humor or like what the sensibility of like a modern american comedy is anymore like i feel like there were distinct things growing up where i was like we're in like the r-rated judd apatow era and then we were in like the hangover sequel era max is horrible boss two era and then i don't know what it is anymore i don't have a pulse on it or my finger on the pulse of it i mean you can't find it because i don't think it's there I, i i think that there's probably a very strong argument to be made that like unless something crazy happens like comedies are kind of over right like the 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 traditional comedy framework is no longer striking a chord like what's the last good comedy that you saw 
in theater, I guess in theaters or something that was released. Like the big comedy. So that's, I saw that Seth Rogen one with Charlize Theron where she was like the politician and he was, I can't remember what it was called, but she's a politician and he's like her right staff writer. And it was, it was oh, fine. Long I mean, shot. It was, yeah, long shot. I, it was fine. I didn't think it was really funny. But like the Will Ferrell, genera- Will Ferrell generation is done. And I'm kind of still in this like mode where I'm just waiting for, I don't know, someone to take charge. I think, I mean, if anything, maybe maybe things are tending toward absurdity. I mean, you just saw Eric Andre's bad trip. Like, yeah, that's true. A ton, like, you know, get a ton of recognition. And I think that was a Netflix original, right? Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and that's just a prank movie, you know? That's almost like back to Jackass era, like, style comedy. Borat. It, it was very Borat-y. Yeah, and, 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 you know, obviously, Borat was doing some political things. I think Eric Andre dipped into some political stuff, especially, like, police brutality and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think maybe we're diving back into that sort of, abs- like, absurdist sense of humor because everything's just so batshit crazy already, like, or at least it has been over the last, you know, however long now, year and a half, two years, or like five years, if you want to just like count the last presidency that we went through. Like it's, so yeah, I think it's in it, like becoming difficult to satirize anything in America as well, like to like actually, you know, make funny jokes about like things that are going on um, because everything kind of is satire now. Um, at least that's how I felt like in Trump's four years, like anyone trying to make jokes about Trump usually like, it just like, you know, wasn't that funny because- It's like, low hanging fruit. Joke. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now, I, I don't know. I think it's maybe a transition back into just absurdist humor. Which I remember hearing something a long time ago where they were talking about, because Steve Martin, there's a poster. Uh, Steve Martin was really big in the early 70s, like gigantic, selling out stadiums. And he would like play a banjo and did like really quirky kind of silly humor. And it was, he was coming out of Vietnam and all the heaviness of the 60s. -hmm. And people kind of adapted to, wow, like it's nice just to have something totally silly that I don't have to be like way heavy on me. And I think maybe that goes to what Eric Andre and some other comedians will start to do is, just silly stuff that you don't have to have like a political opinion and be offended by. It's just, Hey, like he's just doing something crazy. Yeah. And then I mean, the tricky thing is though you have to be be sillier than like what's actually happening, which is I think increasingly harder to do probably like you, you have to in a way still bring that same shock, but it has to transcend the shock of what actually is happening every day. Yeah. Or another, another angle that you're seeing, like, you know, comics or people in comedy taking right now is like, is the non-PC approach. Like that's kind of the other uh, way to gain an audience right now. Uh, Someone that I've been like paying a little bit of attention to, listening to a little bit is Tim Dillon. He has the Tim Dillon podcast. Uh, He's absolutely batshit crazy. And uh, like, and he acknowledges that and he knows that. Um, Likes to dive into like conspiracy theory stuff. Um, But he's just like, very off the wall, but he's non-PC. Like he, he so he's kind of, he kind of does both angles a little bit. I just think that this movie is such of a time and started this movement. Cause then even uh, Jared Hess makes Nacho Libre yep. and they're just these people, 
there was like a 2004 to 2009 where you could make a quirky indie film for nothing and it would be seen by everyone and I, that's kind of cool to me like i i enjoy when indie filmmakers can tell stories that are very like this is a personal story to jared hess and i think the part of the reason it works too is it's just informed by his life like it's true to his experience and i don't know i hope the larger conversation is I hope that comedies and I guess American film, you can still have these, not everything needs to be a fucking, no offense, Max, but a Marvel superhero movie with the same recycled storyline over and over. I hope there are cool, quirky indie films with really niche specific stories that still find mainstream success. Absolutely, man. I think like just how, I think what you're talking about there with like it being so personal, uh, to Jared Hess is exactly what comedy or like comic films need right now. More individual stories based like actually more closely on the writer's lives. Just these extremely real circumstances. Like that's, you know, I think that that's where truer humor will actually live. And actually just like hearing you say that as far as like almost anecdotal storylines or what resonates most with people, like, I think maybe one of the best comedies that I have seen that was recently released, uh, 2017, The Big Sick. Did, did you guys yeah. ever get a chance to see that? I never saw that. You did, yeah. That was really good. And it, it is entirely about the, the, you know, the story of this guy whose family immigrated to the United States, was dating this girl who got terminal, or, or, you know, very serious cancer and just kind of the, the thing that happened with that. And it was, it was very personal, but also resonated a lot with people because it, it touched, touches that kind of that individualized storyline. Um, so that, that actually might be, if I had to nail down like a movie that I've seen that came out recently that fits this kind of criteria that you guys are talking about, that would probably be it. I think too, dramas are way less afraid now to be funny. So, cause like a movie like The Big Short, that came out when we were in college is hysterical, but also really poignant. It has a very poignant message about the economic crisis and it's commenting on it, but it, dramas are way less afraid to go to comedy than I think they used to be. And comedians now direct dramas and try to like splash, splash. like Adam McKay did Anchorman and then did the big short in the 10 year span. Like that's fucking insane to me. And maybe that's what Jared Hess's next step will be. But this is kind of a, this isn't really Napoleon Dynamite anymore. This is like a larger conversation. But uh, I like, want to talk back up. Yeah, it's a definitely an important conversation. But I want to pivot back to the movie because I forgot how good the soundtrack was. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down, like they start with the White Stripes, We're Going to Be Friends. I fucking love that song. And it's the perfect tone. It's the perfect tone to start a movie with. Absolutely. Uh, what does the movie end with also? Oh my God, I wrote that down because I thought that was a perfect end. I thought the beginning and end songs were amazing. It was The Promise by When in Rome. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're like perfect bookends. Both of those, yeah. the, the opening credit and the final scene are both like two of the most memorable things about the whole movie. Yeah, we the didn't really talk about that. The, the way that they introduced like all the cast and everything, like that, that's iconic. I feel like no, that that to me is just like I see that right away and it brings me back to watching this movie in elementary school for the first time 
Yeah, I mean, he's you're getting this like cool little even the way the credits are seems like it's really intentional the way they're showing the names and all the different like hands and the way you're getting all these people while the white stripes were kind of this quintessential indie band of the early 2000s before they like popped off but jack white and those guys are very underground and i feel like to me at least it seems like a conscious choice to choose kind of this underground band to start the movie and then the end song is it's kind of weirdly really uplifting like he's just playing tetherball with deb he caught her a delicious sea bass and the song fits the moment it's sunny it's uplifting and happy yeah no it's 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 a very well scored movie for sure even like even the little like riff music in between like like filler music like stuff like that is like fun and pleasant most like almost all the time yeah and i'm a sucker for anytime you put time after time yeah i can't get enough of canned heat that's the song that he he dances to yeah um oh yeah the iconic dance scene like that's just such a fun it fits the movie so well like I, I don't know if it's an organ i don't know what instrument that is but it reminds me of like the, the the instrument the organ that you hear at a baseball game just constantly like you said justin in the background like i just think it's silly it doesn't really fit the vision of the movie but it finds a way to kind of align itself it's really cool i love that yeah and that's that's the tape that lafonda's cousin made uh yeah. that is canned heat uh and she's also such an interesting fold in the movie. Like, she comes out from Chicago to hang out with Kip. Doesn't he describe her like not how she looks to Uncle Rico? I'm trying to think. When they're sitting, they're sitting in like the cafe, and Uncle Rico's like, "What does she look like?" And he says, "Like straight blonde hair," and like, de- like describes some other features about her, and just like doesn't characterize her at all properly which obviously i think is commenting to the fact that like they don't know anything about how the other looks like they've met online uh yeah and it's amazing it's just like you know obviously like not what you expect when you when the moment comes that they meet and you're like oh okay uh that's just an uh, you know kind of some com- like comedic relief like that's interesting well it, the stuff with lafonda is amazing and when he's talking to Rico about it, he's like, she won't send me a full body shot. I'm just getting really peeved off about it. And just the idea of Kip just killing it online dating to me has always been such a funny thing that they committed to throughout the movie. And then he's, and then he dresses up at the end when he's tracking her back to like the train station. Cause apparently you can take a train or bus to Idaho from Detroit or is she from Detroit or Chicago? I can't remember. I don't remember either. I think it's Detroit. I think she came from Detroit. Yeah, Detroit to fucking Idaho to hang out with Kip. He must be absolutely just spewing beautiful, sweet nothings on the internet. Absolutely, yeah. No, I I think he's got game for sure. The dude fucks. I'll say it. it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Kip fucks, dude. (laughs) Don't, I wonder what have you ever seen him in anything else? I was thinking about that. I've mm-hmm. never seen him in another movie. No, no. It would be really awesome if he was one of the locals. I don't think that's the case. I think he's like a legit actor. Here, I can look. He was in. He has his IMDb. He has not a lot of credits. Jesus Christ. His entire filmography. He has 
six actor credits, two writer credits, three direct. He directed three movies. Jeez. Oh, he's really into being a film. Okay. He's he kind of like a camera guy. He's kind of in like film and like photography. Good for Kip, man. What's his actual name? Aaron no. Ruel. Aaron Ruel. That's what I just said. Nice. No, Aaron. It's Aaron Ruel. No, it's like Ruel and then Aaron, but it's his first name and then last name. <laughs> you don't get it. No, like um, Aaron. Is the dance scene the best scene in the movie to you guys? Is there anything else that competes with it? Or is him dancing the best thing of this movie? I mean, yeah, it's the best scene, right? It, it, I think that there are other scenes that like I like a lot for personal reasons uh, or, you know, because I memorized it best when I was a kid. But no, I mean, it, it is like the scene. It, it makes mm -hmm. the movie. Apparently he just, they didn't choreograph it. They didn't send anybody to teach him how to dance. He just, that's just John Hader just cooking. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, like, he's good, man. Like, he, I don't know. I that's better than I've seen, like, I don't know, anyone I know dance. <laughs> I've seen, I, I, well, in high school, didn't Emmy Bear, didn't she do, like, an impersonation of that? She kind of, I feel like I remember yeah. seeing that at something, and it was good. Shout oh, like, out to her. Variety show or something? Like, did she do yeah. the same setting? That's, that's cool. Yeah, she kind of, she kind of killed it, if I remember right. Nice. Did she wear the boots? Yeah, I, I think, think so. Out, nice. yeah. Do we have to like? Do we have to like at her in this now? Since we've talked about her for like a while, I'll I'll tag Emmy Bear because <laughs> she'll definitely want to know. Uh, she's an avid yeah. listener of this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. What were you gonna say, Max? Um, oh, I I saw some stuff about how that dance scene was like they had like 13 minutes left of filming before they ran out of money or ran out of filming. And so they're like, well, what can we do to like bridge this gap? And they were like, well, like let's make the most important scene of the movie. And, and yeah, he just kind of freestyled it and like a weird amount of pressure coming from a filler and becoming then the most important scene in the movie, which is cool. That's like a, I, yeah. And I, I love the fact that it was freestyled. And also John, John Hader was like paid. I saw this like, a thousand dollars for his role. Well, he renegotiated, but ori originally yeah, it was paid a thousand dollars. How crazy is that? After it took off, then they was like, "Oh shit!" Like he ended up getting a percentage of the box office after they renegotiated. So shout out to his agent. I'd read that there was uh, some talk of the lead being Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't know if that was just like you know gossip, like speculation. Or if there was some truth to that, like again, I was Jake, yes. Again, I was reading all of this, all of it, one hundred percent of it on Wikipedia, like just, like an hour and a half ago. So, have you guys seen Donnie Darko? <laughs> no, no, that looks scary. Uh, shout out to uh, our digital photography teacher in high school, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, um, Frankman. 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 Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Frankman. He was like. Donnie Darko is the greatest movie ever. You need to watch it. Justin sat next to me in that class, and he was like, "Franklin was cool." Oh, I actually saw I saw him somewhat not that recently, but like more recently than high school was. So <laughs> I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him since high school. I feel like the last memory I have of him is we were driving around Sioux Falls one night and then saw his car, and we tried to like pull up next to him and get him to talk to us, and he was like, "Please, don't. I remember this." Yeah, you were in the car, Max. 
Yeah. So, but he told me to watch Donnie Darko, and Donnie Darko is this like really quirky, weird, dark sci-fi thing where he's in high school and miserable. I feel like he's. If you watch that movie, he can't do this. He there's just no way he pulls it off. He's also way too big in 2004 to just be Napoleon Dynamite. Look, I'm not arguing that Jake Gyllenhaal should have been Napoleon Dynamite. I, I and again, I, I think this is maybe just speculation on behalf of you know whoever wrote the Wikipedia article. So I don't know, Chris. I'm reading. I'm reading right now that Brad Pitt was actually in line for the Pedro role. So Get that's pretty sweet. All right, fine. I'm, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna look it up right now. Leonardo DiCaprio was up for Uncle Rico too. Wow! Holy shit! What a yeah, cast. It was going to be star studded until it wasn't. Yeah. Until the budget was only four hundred k. Right. Yeah. yeah. Leo, Leo's agent pitches that he gets immediately fucking fired. So, so there's this four hundred thousand dollar indie movie. It's going to be in Idaho. Um, they're going to pay you five grand, and uh, you're going to throw a stake at a kid riding a bike and be really into high school football. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm going to do the aviator. I'm okay. Don't bully me about this. I'm going to figure out where I read this. And I, I can vouch, Justin. I also did come across that, but I didn't Thank have the you. balls to say it. Oh, there it is. Reason. There it is. There it is. Here we go. Um, this is according to Jared Hess. Uh, according to Wikipedia, one casting director suggests, oh, suggested Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. The, okay, that's different. It wasn't ever like maybe going to be him. <laughs> one casting director was like, you know who'd be like, great hey, guys, in this role? Gyllenhaal. One guy was like, yo, what if we got him? Like, I don't know. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I, I, find a way to, I find a way to work Heath Ledger in almost everyone's pods. I feel like this is something he would have done because he was such a fucking weirdo. Like, I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen Lords of Dogtown. I've, de- I've definitely talked about a movie on this pod. But in Lords of Dogtown, which was like a low-budget movie, he just plays like a really tertiary character that maybe has like 15 minutes of screen time. I feel like you pitch this to Heath Ledger with like enough weed involved. He he signs on to this project. He's more gettable to me than Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think he could have done it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I I want to get off the Jake Gyllenhaal train. Max, seems like you're buying like every dollar of his stock right now. <laughs> of Jake Gyllenhaal? He was really good in well, the like What was the Marvel movie he was in? He was just in the Spider-Man. He was just in Far From Home. He was in... Uh... Which was horrible. What? I liked Far From Home. Yeah, because you like anything they make. They use the same recycled formula. And Max is like season ticket holder to Marvel. My name's Chris. I think it's cool to hate on popular things. <laughs> I watched Donnie Darko. Ooh. Uh, oh now we're lashing out okay i had to get my <laughs> shit on marvel thing okay we're gonna do now a marvel movie soon. yeah are we what's the marvel I mean, movie we're gonna do any of them ant-man and the wasp <laughs> do it do ant-man and the wasp rick and morty does a bit about how shitty ant-man and the wasp is and it makes really max doesn't like rick and morty so that's just to dig the knife extra deep just really twist it. You don't like Twisting it like at all? It. Nah, it's fine. I like it. It has its moments. I think Rick and Morty is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I think it's... Well, I think, I it's think that's maybe why I don't like it, because Chris thinks it's so funny. Like <laughs> A reactionary dislike? That's fair. I get it. No, it's just like, I think that when we've watched it together, he's just kind of always looking at me out of the corner of his eye, and he's like, 
Yeah. Maybe did you laugh at that joke. part? Waiting for you to get the joke. If you don't laugh, yeah. you're stupid, dude. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the thing, is it's actually really intelligent humor. And I think it might be a little above Boyum's right. pay grade. Right. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> can I talk about two small scenes that aren't the dance scene, but are weirdly personally hilarious to me? The his presentation about Nessie mm-hmm. and the Nessie Alliance yeah. protecting them with the wizards. Um, his entire speech, I used to know most of it. I don't anymore, but that's that a really a, great It was like a current event, right? Is the current events yeah. weird. It's weird that, that those were ever a thing. We did them in high school, to, or not, yeah, Is we did them in high school. Kids to like read all about all the horrors that are happening around them at all times. Is that should we tag or... Doug? Should we tag Doug Linder, Doug Linder in this and just say, hey, we didn't enjoy doing current events in like history sophomore year? Yes. And my we other scene, I so... really enjoyed. What? We're shouting out so many people from high school in this pod. That's, That's what it's all about, bro. Yeah. Yeah. My other scene I really liked with them is the time machine where he's like, you forgot to put in the crystals. He's like, turn it off, Kip, it kills. And Rico comes out with like ice on his balls. And he's like, I could have told you it didn't work. That's, that's an amazing, just amazing comic scene. Yeah, I, I don't know what that machine even was. Yes, Max. Can yes. we go to Conspiracy Corner for a second? Just like for a hot second. Take us there. Take us there. Okay, there's a scene that I don't really know if I ever noticed until tonight where you just randomly see Napoleon take out like an envelope and he, I think it's when he's at the dance. He's in the bathroom at the dance. Mm -hmm. And out of his suit jacket, he takes out like an envelope and then he takes something out of the envelope and eats it. And I was kind of thinking like leading up to that point and after it, I was like, what if this whole movie is just like Napoleon just super high? Like he just did some shrooms and that's why he's kind of like, he just kind of gives a little bit of a blazed vibe, like kind of clapped with his eyes, like just very, you could convince me that this whole thing was like a weird, bad trip of his. And then everything just kind of works out in the end because he's high on mushrooms. Okay. So throw that out there. You throw it right on back. Does anybody remember the scene? Am I alone in this? No, I remember the scene. I just always thought that it was like... Tater tots. Okay. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was gum. That's what... I, it looks like a thing of Big League Chew, just without the logo. But it's like a I thought, blanket. He, was, I thought he had the tater tots from Earl... For, I thought it was a callback to when he had tater tots, like... Well, no, chews on them for way too long for it to be tater tots, man. Like, there's a lot of chewing. Maybe he's got big yeah. league chew. Yeah, I don't think oh, shit. I don't okay. think Napoleon's yeah. cool enough to have a drug dealer in prep. I don't think he's cool enough to have a drug dealer in high school. Yeah, yeah. So no one's I giving him drugs, man. I mean, I googled it and it says it is big league chew. We were right. Damn it. That's okay. You you dreamed. It seems like it would be such a lazy story device if it was a dream sequence and Napoleon just wakes up and that none of that happened. Yeah, would would make the movie actually like genuinely much less interesting if that was just like if it was he was like having a trip. Or more interesting that they never really directly address it. You know, it's just like 
it just very subtle. It's just like one of those little nods, you know, just like a little tip of the cap to the viewer if you're paying attention. I just really wanted to feel special that I was noticing something. Because the they did that with the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, and at the end it was like, mm. well, it's up for you to interpret. That, that it just seemed really lazy to me. You know what? I didn't like it. Todd, this I should tag Todd Phillips in this too, but I just I don't like these endings where it's you decide if they were lucid or not, or you decide when just fucking tell me what's happening was the joker did he actually live that or has he been in the nut house the entire time i don't know and if napoleon's been tripping on shrooms and his best dream was getting his buddy elected class president that would make me sad yeah that would be that would be a bad trip that'd be a bummer trip uh sorry max yeah i think it was gum man but I, I did a I like thing. Where your head's I, at. I do. I like where your head's at. But yeah, Max, you got any more? You got any more interesting thoughts? Just I mean, he already can, he already had the hot take about the hour and a half films being the only films that should exist. I still stand by that slightly. Uh, with a with I, certain I appreciate of your appreciation for short movies. I just, I mean, I know you know you went too far. <laughs> I did. I, did. I, I had a, yeah. Okay, we can leave conspiracy corner safely. Thank you for indulging me absolutely justin do you have any crazy ideas that you just want to check out this is the safe space um no i don't think so i can look at my notes to see if i have any crazy ideas yeah we're kind of I guess we're kind of in final thoughts i'm just looking at my notes and yeah. seeing if there's anything oh the, another hilarious cutaway scene is the bike scene where he's like can i ride your bike and he's like you got three feet of air can i try and the entire thing just crashes yeah that's really funny cutaway. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to note that there's this, in the scene when Napoleon goes to the store to buy something to wear um, for the dance, I, he picks a woman a woman's suit, right? Yeah, I think it looks killer on him. I I, I think it's it's a very good suit for him. It ages very well. That that you could pass that for today for sure. Yeah, he was ahead of his time in terms of hipster, like being a hipster. Yeah. I think a scene that really gets me that's super random is when Uncle Rico's driving his van and Napoleon throws the mango at his windshield. Like the little yelp from Uncle Rico always makes me laugh. And then like the oh, weird yeah. chase scene. And is it, and it's like the a grapefruit. It's huge. It's massive. Yeah. It's, it's like huge. a mango or yeah. Um and then Oh shoot! What does he call him? He, like Uncle Rico has him in like a headlock, and he like elbows him in the stomach to get him off of him, and he calls oh. him something. Um, I don't remember what it is. Bow Daggett? Does he call him a Bow Daggett? Is that a thing? Yeah, that's what it is. Yes. <laughs> I, and it's like something I noticed in the subtitles is that oh my god, okay, is that it's like capitalized, so it's like a proper noun. Oh my God. So if you look up on Urban Dictionary, Bodaget, it's the definition is something you call Uncle Rico after you hit his Idaho local van with an orange that is really a grapefruit. Hell yeah. There we go. We nailed it. Look at that. I've redeemed myself. I've said all I need. Clearly there's such a cult following for this movie. Can we, I guess my conspiracy corner quickly is who's paying Rico and Kip who's giving them the products like Rico confronts Kip about being up to date on the new product, implying that there's 
some supply chain that's going on where they're getting funded with new products to push on this small town Idaho community. And apparently they gave them Tupperware and then breast enhancement. And I, I just, are they a part of a pyramid scheme? Is this like a secret drug cartel? I, that's my conspiracy corner is who the fuck is employing them? When did the, the whole like, Mary Kay craze start? You know, like 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 selling things home to home. Like when when did that? Because I feel like that's another like '80s or '90s touchstone. Yeah, selling yeah, shit products like, door to door. Yeah, 1963 is when Mary Kay was founded. Sure. So it's, it, we it's, asked. It's, yeah. But I just feel like door to door salesmen like. That, that wasn't a thing in 2004 and 2005 like it, or it was on the very last legs of it yeah and that's, that's, their, that's not something that you should be doing anymore like get on ebay who, You're, you've been on the internet all day kib who throws in a ship with a tupperware purchase and it's like fuck it i'm gonna get this 24 piece set from this guy because i like that scene a lot i think that's a really good scene uh oh yeah for sure strong young pup let's see if you can give this a tear He's like, I can't. His wife's so disappointed in him. <laughs> I want to know really that, that couple story. What's the? Oh, yeah. yeah. Their their marriage seems like there's some issues. If seeing your husband not be able to tear Tupperware is enough for you to scowl, like there might be some underlying problems. Just <laughs> therapy might help. I don't know. Anybody else? We're kind of in final thoughts, just chucking stuff out. You guys got anything else written in your notes? Uh, one of my favorite lines is uh, from Kip, my boy. Uh, when Napoleon and LaFonda meet, first of all, it's incredible because he's like super sweaty because he's been practicing his dance moves. Uh, and he takes just a massive swig of like fruit punch Gatorade. And like we all yeah. know what that tastes like, and we all know what that's like, and it just spills down his, just dribbling down his chin onto his shirt everywhere, uh, and he's like, "Who are you?" The first thing he says. But anyway, uh, when Kip comes back out, and Lafonda leaves, Kip is like, "Lafonda is the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me," and then he's like telling Napoleon like you'll get a babe someday too, Napoleon. I think that that's like another one of my favorite scenes for sure. Why is, do we know why Kip insulting? It's because I want to, one of my favorite lines is your mom goes to college mm -hmm. that he says to Deb. Why is that an insult? Like, I don't, he like cackles to himself. Like I, I don't, does she have a young mother? I don't get what the joke is. And I've never understood it. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't know. I don't know. Like, who wrote that? Where they're like, oh, that's like how Kip's going to get her. He's like, your mom goes to college. I think it's probably just more in line with like the the immature humor of, of the film and like how devastated that, how devastated she is by the comment. Like, it's she leaves her little string things. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's completely devastated by it. As she should be. Max, you have any lines written? I don't know if anything more than what's already been said. Um, we used to say boyfriend a lot. Boyfriend. Boyfriend. Your, boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Your grandma broke her cockex. 
She's not the dude with her boyfriend. Boyfriend? Grandma doesn't have a boyfriend. There's a lie you don't know about Grandma Napoleon. She's like three. Kip's like thirty-two. We don't need you to. The fact that they sent Uncle Rico to take care of a thirty-two-year-old and it's like, yeah. What happened to? Uh, this is also conspiracy corner. What happened to their parents? Like, where's Napoleon's yeah. parents? They never say. They never say like anything about it. It's just Kip and Napoleon living with Grandma, and. I don't, I don't know if Rico's like his legit uncle or if that's I mean, like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in the movie that suggests that there's like more information about that, but I guarantee you there's some good fan fiction about it. Napoleon probably had a traumatic childhood, to be honest. I mean, does Napoleon Dynamite has a wiki, right? Yeah. So like that means that there's fan fiction about it probably, right? There's fan fiction about everything. Yes. The last thing I would say, I guess, not necessarily a quote, but I do kind of like that it, you know, I'm a sucker for a happy ending. I'm a sucker for an hour and a half movie. I'm a sucker for a happy ending. And everybody in the end ends up winning, right? Pedro wins his presidency. Napoleon and Deb get together. Uncle Rico's estranged girlfriend comes back to him. Which should and Which should be happy. There's no, that's actually kind of a bothersome part of the end of the movie. Like he's, he is, the least deserving of redemption there's nothing like he, he has he doesn't do anything to atone for being a dick and yeah, for, yeah, he some reason, for some reason things work out for him or you know you're led to believe that they will and that one that's partly confusing but i don't think the movie is out to like necessarily make antagonists of of anyone at the end yeah, I never understood. I thought it was just I was some random girl that was walking by that was like, "Oh, hey, like, what are you doing?" I didn't realize that was like a strange girlfriend. Is that what you picked up on, Max? That it was a long lost girlfriend? I think he makes reference in the beginning that he just broke up with his girlfriend. I think that during one of those conversations with him and Kip at the diner, said I, think I was living too. Said it. I was living too much in '84. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's that's her. So he she's Class just '84 gonna... also. She's just going to go live in the van. Class of 84, live in a van down by the river. Yeah, I'd say my final thought, I guess, would just be, yeah, the the ending, it's like Justin says about bookends. It's the perfect beginning, perfect ending, and the middle is just a bunch of really quick scenes. I, I can't think of a scene that lasts more than like two minutes. And it just, it's an hour and a half. They trimmed all the fat, and it's just such an enjoyable, it's such a good hangout movie. You can just have it on the background and it's perfect. That's my final thought. Yeah, I echo that. Classic comfort film. I encourage Mm -hmm. everyone to watch it when they're sick or it's a snow day or whatever. I mean, whenever, whenever, if you're just hanging out with your friends, it is, it's a good kickback movie for sure. Can we do a group watch with Christy Couts? Probably. Yeah, she'd probably be down. Nice, okay. I mean, I'll let her know. We'll, we'll line it up. That's a, that's a good place to end it is. Go. Thanks for doing this, guys. Justin, glad you were able to do this the first time. Max, as always, yeah, you, you had a mediocre take, but managed to salvage it with, with some redeeming things.